Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Jeskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Well, so here I am at the end of the road. Where do I go from here? I always figured it would be like this Still nothing seems to be quite clear All the words have been spoken And the prophecy fulfilled But I just can't decide where to go Yes, it's been quite a day And I should go to sleep But tomorrow I will wake up and I'll know Hello everybody and welcome to Billy Joel A to Z Well here we are again folks Another final track to complete an album And today the song is called Got to Begin Again Got to Begin Again is the 10th and final track That completes Billy's first album Cold Spring Harbor, which was released on November 1st, 1971, and of course, famously re-released in December of 1983, thanks to everybody's favorite manager, Artie Rip. Artie Rip. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Elon, this strange song that I had never heard of before today called Got to Begin Again, where does Christopher Bonanos place out of 121 songs Got to Begin Again? This is a good song, good piano ballad. I think Bananas will give it a pretty good ranking, but not so high, because let's face it, it's still Cold Spring Harbor. I say he puts it at 74. He puts it at 41. Woo. It's shocking. It's three down from Goodnight Saigon. I'm surprised he went that high on that. I know. When I'm looking at it now, I think maybe I didn't, maybe I got it wrong, because it's so high. And Glenn Gamboa puts it at 121 out Whoa. of 124. This has to be our widest spread. I know we had another one recently that was a wide spread, but this is crazy. Yeah, that's why I keep thinking I, I got it wrong because I, you know, uh, was looking at it about three days ago and I'm like, wait, did I do this right? But he says, OK, ba- this is basically one cliche after another. And clearly he says, I've got to begin again and it's hard. But Joel's sweet delivery is actually kind of endearing, which, of course, is the best. His beautiful angelic voice it's been quite a while since i lifted my head and i'm sure the light will hurt my eyes he sings and then he just puts aw but jesus christ 121 i would have just said uh i hate this song i don't know why you're putting nice things about it if yeah you're, you know it's weird uh the fans rank it at 93 out of 121 so uh <laughs> crazy christopher bananas <laughs> uh i don't know uh I don't know where I'd put the song. I don't think I'd put it that low. I did enjoy it. It's my, uh, well, I can say my least favorite song off Cold Spring Harbor, off the three that I now know. <laughs> uh, but I still enjoyed it very much. It, it is completely piano-based, so I like it, and it's a little slower. But I do think it is, I think, uh, as it's, it's, I don't know whether it's a good song to end an album with. Of course, he wasn't thinking that way, but you always would when you'd put together an album. But I think this is the kind of song he wrote thinking 
oh, this should be the song the way you end an album. This is the way you're supposed to end an album. I think like in his head, he's like, I guess if I write a song like this, it should be the last one on the album. But I don't think he was thinking in the sense of the way he clearly did later, like in case I die and this is my last album, here's what I'm going to do. A little bit more powerful <laughs> message. But this is the one, I guess, in, you know, you're writing in the 1970, 1969, you're saying, but this is what everybody ends their album with is something like this. All piano, no other instruments. Yeah, it's nice. It's a slow coda to the album. It goes well after the song before it, which I guess we can't talk about because we haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. But the one before it is a nice piano instrumental. And then it goes to this. Um, and that one kind of feels like the end of the album. And then this happens and it, it, go, it fits nicely. I'll tell you that. I think this is a really good song. I don't know that I would go. I definitely wouldn't go as high as Christopher Bananos did with right. it. Absolutely. Because not. and I wasn't really sure because I do enjoy it a lot. I think it's really good for what it is. It doesn't suffer from some of the things that we had with Falling of the Rain, which is a really cool song. But the lyrics are like cringeworthy. This song, I thought very nice lyrics. Very, it could be a timeless message. It's just about a breakup or, you know, whatever, starting over. A timeless message. But clearly, uh, when we always talk about his timelessness of his songs, sounds like a 70s song, a definite song that was written in the 70s. Yeah, it feels like, you know, I know a lot of the songs from this album, he was thinking in terms of like maybe someone else would record these songs. It was sort of to show like what he could be as a songwriter. And this feels like a song that would have been good for like one of those female folk singers to maybe do around that time it almost you know doesn't it feel like a woman should be singing this song or it would be great with a woman singing the song i never think that way so uh no <laughs> but female singers what is wrong with the world <laughs> i just never think in those terms that a female should be singing this it just does you know that's just not the way i think it's you know when i hear you know how much i like cheryl crow when i hear her it's not like i sit there and go like a man would be so much better at this song i just don't think in those kind of terms I just so. think that way because I think the hearing a woman's uh, range of vocals, I think, on this song would be really nice. That's all. Not that the subject matter sounds like a woman's song or a man's song. Well, you you might be right. Uh, it you is, may be right. <laughs> <laughs> you might be right because uh, I have a comparison that is quite fascinating that I Ooh. put together last night. Because I can't hear this song now. It's kind of like with Blonde Over Blue. And then he gets to that part. And you and I, now it, we can't hear it without singing Uptown Girl. Yeah. After he pointed it out. So this is the exact same thing. I kept getting to this one part where it sounds like this Carpenter's song called Close to You. And I put it together. And it fits so perfectly. So that's why, yes, uh, there is some sort of feminine ways about this. Because wait till you see how this is combined. Uh, I'm going to play it for you now, okay? Okay, can't wait. All the words have been spoken And the prophecy fulfilled But I just can't decide where to go To this I mean, it fits perfect, no? Yeah, they go together well. I don't know. It's not the same as other ones where we said it sounds exactly like a song. This is more like the first half of him and the second half with her. Yeah, yeah. when I hear him get to that chorus, to me, it sounds like that's what comes next. And from the first listening, I'm like, did he, you know, this sounds exactly like that part. I kept singing. Is he going to say, so they sprinkled moon dust in your hair? 
because it just goes to that exact chord. And then when you were talking about a woman singing it, it added up, let alone his voice does sound very well. You know, this might be I don't know whether this is the high version or not. You know, the whole Cold Spring Harbor, he does sound like a woman singing the song. But I'll tell you what this song definitely does sound like is a, a high school song, a song that somebody like I could picture it in the movie Fame. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the original movie Fame, which is terrific, actually, if you ever get a chance. It's really gritty and awesome. A movie they would never they remade it, but it wouldn't have the same gravitas that the original 1980 movie had and the music in it, which is amazing. And one of my favorite directors who just died recently, Alan Parker, who not only did fame, but he did Midnight Express and uh, Bugsy Malone. I mean, this guy was like a hell of a director in his the way he would vary his films. But you could picture, you know, Irene Cara sitting at the piano and playing this song as a song that a high school kid wrote uh, you know, because Billy was pretty close in age, I guess, at this time, I guess yeah. you know, he was probably in his 20s that a high school kid wrote and is just playing, uh, you know, for his uh, school. And they're like, oh, this kid's going places, <laughs> you know, but it's it's a high school song. I Yeah, I see that. That's, that's I think when I'm listening to it, I feel that way that it's it's so simple. That, right. And that's the thing. It's like it's simple. It's so pared down. It's just him and piano. And yeah, I could see someone, in, a teenager writing this. Well, so I assume you saw the 1996 Hoster University thing where he had the high school kids sing it. Yeah, Steve Lavner. Yeah, <laughs> Steve Lavner. <laughs> he kept calling. Steve Lavner, everybody. Right? <laughs> and the kid, it's funny because the kid was rather awful. I mean, everybody was applauding, but he, he, he wasn't as good as I want. I needed him to be. You know, to I thought he was pretty with. good, better than I thought he would be. Yeah, I, and I thought he was worse. And he kind of reminds me of Ben Platt from Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, the way he was like kind of shy and, and a little awkward and he's saying it. Okay. But it, that's exactly where this song belongs at a, you know, Hofstra university where somebody's a company, you know, Billy Joel's got his big song book. And then remember he mixes up the lyrics and he goes, Hey, yeah. He's like, where did I, didn't, when did I say shall yeah, right, <laughs> right. shall in there, which is and the kids are fancy for Billy. The, the kid's probably terrified. I mean, he's in front of his whole class singing with Billy Joel. I mean, and he gives uh, him the middle finger at some point, which is cool. Who does? The kid, when he's singing right before the first chorus, because they're all yelling, they're like, yes, yeah, Steve. And he, he throws up a middle finger. So then they all start like cheering and whooping. Yeah. And Billy doesn't exactly know why, because he can't see that. So oh, yeah. That I, maybe I didn't. I saw that, I guess. And I'd forgotten about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, how do you? Yeah. I, for, for the fact that he knew all the lyrics is amazing, you know, because it's off Cold Spring Harbor. Uh, then I went through a little rabbit hole of seeing a bunch of people play it at their keyboards at their house. Uh, this really pretty girl from Philadelphia was playing it and singing it. And she was terrific. And, uh, you know, it's funny when you see these lesser known songs that I've never even heard of before to have other people play. It. This is exactly the right song to hear people I've never heard of sitting in their uh, room, their bedrooms, living in their parents' house with the electronic keyboard playing this song. It It, it is that kind of song. It is a high school song. Still very good but it is not your typical Billy Joel. And even so much so as you blame Artie Rip for like almost letting this happen, even though it does no. fit possibly the decade that you have to, I don't know. I feel like you just have to blame him. It's not it. I, I feel this song leads me to believe that Artie Rip had no vision to what Billy Joel was to become, even though I do like the song. 
I don't know. I don't agree with with that assessment of the song. I think this is a strong song, and yeah, it's simple enough that a high schooler could do it well. And it's I'm sure on YouTube people because it's just piano. Just like I mean, you could learn this song. This isn't like trying to learn. Everybody loves you now. This is nice and slow, and it makes you sound good if you sing it because it's still pretty cool. But I think it totally belongs on this album. I think it's professional level. I wouldn't denigrate the song like that. No, no, no. no. I'm just I'm denigrating it in the sense of Billy Joel is the shit. And he's got other songs. There's got to be ones where you just say, I don't know, <laughs> like, I, you know, I'm not I'm just I like the song. I, you know how I feel about just somebody sitting at the piano and singing. This is why we like Julian Villard. So if he was to sing this song, I'd probably love it. It's just not up to Billy Joel standards. That's all because it's because he's not there yet. He's not Billy Joel yet. That's all. Yeah, that's why it was hard for me to figure out where I would think this should be ranked because and I actually had to go through like every song Billy Joel did to get an idea of where Bananos might put this and when I went through I was like so many of these songs are better than this song like this is one of the better songs on Cold Spring Harbor but when you go through all of his later stuff there's so many that are ahead of it and that's why I thought the 70s was a place where it might fit not the 40s that's that's just too high there's so many great songs that are better than this yeah yeah Um, this is just so it's great it's great for what it is it is but yeah, simple. and this song, you know, we, we, in the F's wrap up, I remember we were talking a little bit more about We Didn't Start the Fire, which of course is taboo, talking about a song that's coming up. You know, we were mentioning that song. And when you hear something like this, you know, it's just when you, and then you think uh, only, I don't know, uh, 50, 16 years later, he's going to come up with this We Didn't Start the Fire, which is weird. The, you would think it would be 30 years later, but it's only 71 to 89. It's not as long as you think. Sometimes you hear that song. And if you're a kid and you don't know Billy Joel's catalog, this song got to begin again, makes you realize, oh, right. Billy Joel is a singer songwriter. And this is the epitome of a, what we would call a singer songwriter. This song. Yeah, they're definitely on like the opposite ends of the spectrum. It's like he could be this singer songwritery or he could be this flashy and kooky with the well, that's why we didn't start events. that's exactly and that's why we didn't start the fire is a great example of a, a perfect example this being his like let's just say his first his first song and that being his last song i mean just let's just say it that way wow you know this is somebody look at look at this guy and look at what we're doing in this podcast his his beautiful trajectory like if we did his songs in order it would be a completely other fascinating journey than the A to Z because look where he was and look where he became and just said, I'm going to go for this because I've done all these other things. I've proven myself and I'm going to take a risk and just naming off historical events in a song that I think I believe because I am really good at what I do is going to be one of the catchiest songs anybody's ever heard (laughs) and a number one goddamn hit. Jesus Christ. There's no way Artie Rip is going to sit there like, well, you know what I'd like to do, you know, someday is do a bunch of historical stuff and just like say it real fast and like, you know, have like Billy, nobody's going to be sitting in the audience repeating your historical figures. I, I'm just so mad at Artie Rip when I hear this album. No vision, no vision. And you're sitting there with a Billy Joel. It's just embarrassing. Yeah, it'd be it's funny like, if, Artie Rip, like, it, it, if it, old Artie Rip in 1989 was like, that was my idea. What's he doing? <laughs> I always told him, do the historical things. Well, it's like drafting Tom Brady in the fourth or sixth round, whatever. You know, it's like just somebody fucked up, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you never know. You never know. 
Did you listen to the 1971 Hempstead live version? I did. It's uh, it's fine, but the best part is the end. Did you hear the end when uh, after the song is over and Billy goes, wow, everybody's coming in. They're coming in late, but better late than never. Yeah, <laughs> it's so yeah, funny. That was, it's great. Yeah, it's great hearing somebody first starting out. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, That's you're like right. what we I, say at comedy shows. Like when you know, you're up first and you're like, oh, yeah, guys, come on in. Go sit in the front. Yeah, yeah, yep, it's okay. Yeah. And then a few years later, he's selling out Carnegie Hall and then arenas a little bit after that. Yeah, it's like I was uh, playing the song on YouTube before we started again. And then it just, uh, you know, how YouTube works. And it just says, do you want to hear Billy Joel at Yankee Stadium? You know, <laughs> like I'm like, right. Isn't that fascinating? There's no way he could picture himself playing at Yankee Stadium. He might have said to himself when he's writing this song and he's playing it and he finishes the recording of it and he's like, well, I think we made a good album and he's maybe maybe someday we'll be at MSG. I guarantee he never thought he was going to be at Yankee Stadium or Shea Stadium. I mean, no, who could even dream that big? Maybe he would have thought he could be at Yankee Stadium as the organist. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. I mean, maybe he thought he could be at Shea because his Beatles, you know, the Beatles were his heroes. So he's like, wouldn't that be something else? Sometimes I could play at Shea, but, you know, that just wasn't a, those kind of things. I mean, that Beatles thing was, you know, strange. They played at Shea. You know, they they weren't doing that back then. Yeah, right. I mean, it was so odd to play a non, I guess, a non-music venue. Yeah, and him just being a big sports fan, too, especially since his manager is wearing a sports outfit on the greatest album of all time. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, Phil Ramone, was a, he wasn't just wearing it. He was a diehard Yankee fan. You think? Yeah, that's what it, I'm I kidding, read in- you idiot. Of course, okay. what kind of idiot would wear if you're Phil Ramone, who clearly isn't Artie Rip and has vision that this kid's going places. You finish the stranger. The the the, the artist is letting you on the album. If you're just a a, a half ass Yankee fan and you're going to wear that outfit, you suck. And we know Phil Ramone does not suck. Of course, he's a diehard Yankee fan. Well, so many people wear the Yankees be. hat and aren't really fans. So I'm just pointing out that he was the no, real deal. No, he's wearing the jersey on the cover of one of the greatest rock and roll albums of all time. He knows it's going to be a huge album. He knows. And why would you ever wear something you are not completely passionate? About? I mean, you look like an idiot wearing that jersey anyway. You should be wearing, you know, my mother would have killed me. If I was on the back of an album cover wearing my New Jersey Devils, you know, hockey jersey, <laughs> like, she would have made you go in a full suit. Oh, she would absolutely. Like, but the other guys are just wearing their clothes. Oh, please. And a I suit. Was, in high school, I wasn't allowed to uh, leave the house in jeans. I had to actually oh, change in the car like a girl, like a, like you see in the movies. I would go into my car and change into jeans like like a girl. Yeah. You, you change know, into like, your, your black leather pants. Yeah. Like in Greece. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, my mother would not let me. So when I see that thing, I'm like, my mother would be so furious at Phil Ramone. Oh, she'd give it to him. But good. Imagine you were trying to buy that album and she looks at the cover of the store. And she's like, you can't have this. Look at these guys are wearing jeans, sports jerseys. Yeah, look at these guys. They look like a lot of trouble. Why are they sitting at this <laughs> Italian restaurant? They should be a Katz's Deli. Now, that's an album cover. <laughs> Billy Joel's a Jewish boy. Why is he at an Italian restaurant? Right. <laughs> Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? Okay, Elon, I have this unbelievable... I don't know whether it's a stumper. It's just the most interesting fact I've ever unearthed 
from uh, Billy Joel. Okay. And it all has to do with this song and uh, a bunch of stuff. So, okay. Someone we mentioned here today at this on this particular episode recorded an album at the exact same time as Glass Houses. Produced by Phil Ramone, the album I'm talking about, engineered by Jim Boyer, mastered by Ted Jensen, and with Dave Brown and Russell Jabbers on guitar, Doug Stegmeyer on bass, and Liberty DeVito on drums, name this person's solo album. Give me a little tiny hint, but I don't think you're going to get it. Well, okay, so is it related to the Carpenters? It is. Okay, was Mary, Mary was one of the Carpenters? Is it Mary Carpenter? Harry Chapin Carpenter, is is that he's the other guy? Who are the Carpenters? Uh, This is, I'm having a heart attack. I'm sorry. Any listeners that are my age are now just want to punch you. Aren't those both Carpenters or did I make up their names? You made up their names. You really made up their names. I mean, (laughs) it's really unbelievable. how Is Harry Chapin Carpenter not a person? Or is her name Mary Chapin Carpenter? You're so way off. There's someone named that. Who am I talking about? Well, I don't know, but it ain't her. And you are right. There is something funny like that, but it's Richard and Karen Carpenter. I was way Karen, Gosh. So, so Karen, the way I said this was just like right out of my cousin Vinny. One was the Corvette, which could never be confused with the Buick Sky. The other had the same body length, height, width, weight, wheelbase, and wheel track as the 64 Skylark. And that was the 1963 Pontiac Tempest. So she has a solo album with engineered by Jim Boyer, produced by Phil Ramon, Ted Jensen, with Doug Brown, Dave Brown, Russell Jefferson, Doug Semi bass, and Liberty DeVito on drums. It sounded just like that, that scene <laughs> because it's unbelievable. When I looked this up, it is Karen Carpenter's solo album. It, it's and Phil Ramon produced it at the exact same time they were doing Glass Houses. So that's, that's why I had the whole band. So she came to Phil Ramon and said, I want to go solo. My brother's on Quaaludes and I want to do something. So in 1979, they made this album. And then the executives at I think AM said, We're not going to release it because it stinks. And that put her down a downward spiral. And in 1983, she called Phil Ramone and she said, dude, I still fucking love this. She goes, can I curse? And he's like, "Uh, uh, yeah, sure. He goes, I still fucking love this album. This is a great fucking album. And uh, then she died. Like Phil Ramone was like the last person to talk to her. Those are her last words. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, she got screwed because I don't know. Some again, people with no vision didn't like Karen Carpenter singing about having sex because they were Uh, very, you know, whatever they were. But Karen Carpenter is one of those people like Billy Joel blessed with this unbelievable, amazing voice. You, You know, again, you'll have no idea how huge the Carpenters were. Back when I was growing up, I mean, absolutely huge, but I guess they were considered kind of bubblegummy, but her voice wasn't. Plus, Karen Carpenter was an idiot when it came to selection, song selections, like a genuine jackass. I have multiple examples of songs that were presented to her to sing. She didn't write her own songs and she passed on them. And then the other people made them complete hits. So you you also have to be kind of an idiot when you can't choose the correct songs. I mean, it's. You know, that's that's a talent, too. Yeah. yeah. What's going to work for you. So but obviously she was uh, quite the mess. But, yeah, working with the entire crew of glass houses uh, like she passed on um, 
is it rock with you? I think, or something like one of the Michael Jackson ones, oh. Rob Temperton was built. Yeah. And, and there's yeah, so many yeah. other examples. So Phil Ramone on the album, they just, they released the album in, I think 1990 something. They finally released it. And, you know, it's, it's a strange album. It's sort of, you know, a couple of disco songs because it was 79, but you know, not, not worth not releasing. And now it's made a lot of money because people, you know, after she died, that kind of stuff happens. People realize how great she was, but he, Phil Ramone put on her album to Richard, which was her brother. Thank you for letting me borrow your sister for this album. <laughs> what a douchey thing to write. I know he means it in a nice way, but also sounds like some guy being like taking out someone's sister on a date. Like, Hey, thanks for letting me borrow your sister. <laughs> well, again, both of them, I guess were a mess, which is too bad, but wow. How do you like that? I mean, uh, Phil with glass houses and this, you got it. Now you got to listen to this. At least the first song of this Karen Carpenter's album was pretty good. She, her voice, I could listen to it all the time. It's a special, uh, really, uh, one of those voices, a gift from God. Like a Linda uh, Ronstadt kind of thing? No, no, 10 times better. Her voice is also very special. Like it's that. special, but it's not the same. It's This is different. It was, And that's that's what I think the problem with the album was. Maybe she wasn't using it to her best efforts, but there was something about her voice much different than Linda Ronstadt might have had a nice voice. But this, this was special. It was a, a little deeper and a little just really interesting. You know, and just yeah. uh, she was a very interesting person. You know, I mean, she used to play the drums. It was kind of like the White Stripes. <laughs> She'd play the drums. Did he play guitar. Sing. No, he played the keyboards. And oh, so they uh, were keyboards and drum duo, or did they have some other backing people? They had some other backing, but they were keyboards and drum duo. She used mm -hmm. to uh, play the drums, and I don't think she was a spotlight kind of person. And they're like, "Look, you got to come out and sing. You got to be in the center. This is just stupid." Because you're phenomenal and you're, you know, there's something special going on here. And then she, but she hated it. She'd prefer to be back in the drums. Again, I'm fascinated with people that can drum and sing at the same time. Yeah, I know. That's always really impressive. Just to keep their head near the microphone while they have to do all this stuff. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine like Phil Collins and Don Henley. Yeah. It's also strange when the drummer is a good songwriter. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's odd. Like Roger Taylor in Queen, also great songwriter, drummer. Oh yeah, and a good singer. Very I thought you were high, talking about the guy from Duran Duran. Are there two Roger Taylors? There's only one, as far as I'm concerned. By the way, I looked up Mary Chapin Carpenter. She's a country singer songwriter. Yes, yes, with a ton of hits. No, I knew and you were because right. of that. I was thinking of Harry Chapin, who's who's a whole different guy, right. and I got the Carpenter part mixed up. So yes, I wasn't yes. totally out of left field. Yes. And meanwhile, they say that uh, it's still rock and roll to me contains the same sort of new wave drive as uh, Karen Carpenter's song, Still in Love with You. And I play if you play the opening, you kind of get it, but it's Ooh. not necessary to uh, check out. It's just well, we'll find out about that in the eyes pretty soon. That's right. But it is fascinating to I who knew that he was working on Glass Houses, you know, the Grammy nominated Glass Houses and Karen Carpenter's solo album at the same time, which again was a, a pretty big deal back then. I guess he was really in demand. I mean, after the stranger and everything, I guess that's 52nd street. Right. And like, yeah, I think she sought him out. You know, it's like, kind of funny. And he's doing like Billy's like hard rock album. And then he's going across the hall to this nice little Karen Carpenter project. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, listen, that's why the stranger and glass houses and 52nd street are so great because he was completely versatile. That's why the stranger is, the Stranger by 52nd Street is a, quote, jazz album. Why Glass Houses is the, the hard rocking album, you know, perfect. And, and The Bridge is his hard rap album. 
the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> Billy Joel does gangster rap on the bridge. All right. Give me your trivia. All right. Mine is a pretty simple trivia question. So we didn't mention this before, but the live stats, according to setlist.fm, are that this song was played twice live. Besides the 1996 performance that we talked about with Steve Lavner, Billy played it in 71 at Hempstead, which we have a recording of, and then in SUNY Plattsburgh in 1972. So there's two performances, according to setlist.fm. My question is, what Beatles song that also begins with Got Two has Billy played more times live than this song? Is, is that got to get you into my life? Yes. Oh, thank God, because I thought maybe that was one of those songs that had a different title than the yeah, right. actual thing, you know, like all those who songs, you know, 515. Yeah, like, what the hell is that? How does that go? I don't know that song. No, you do know the song. You just don't know the, the title of the song. They say it in the song. <laughs> right. So I was nervous. Oh, good. I'm glad I got it right. Yeah. He played that live three times. Got to get you into my life. Yeah. He only played it three times. Yeah, so oh, he's I, just barely, just barely more uh, than this one. Well, he likes to mix up that Beatles catalog a lot. He's a played lot. so many Beatles songs. Yeah, he's probably yeah. played like twenty percent of all the Beatles songs. Yeah, and he probably plays one at every concert too. Like probably even you know even the MSG monthly ones, he probably plays one Beatles song each time. And then, as we know, every single song he's ever written is based on a day in the life. Clearly, <laughs> including this one. <laughs> Apparently, it's funny how how not like a day in the life this song is because this song like doesn't you know that song has like it's complicated sections this song doesn't even have a bridge it's just like verse chorus verse chorus done uh, again that's what makes it so endearing it's uh you know he's just figuring it out yeah he's figuring it out it's great really great i love learning about this cold spring harbor it's, it's making me happy seven more songs no eight more songs to go i know because i can't wait to actually listen no, two, to the uh, album. seven more seven more because we did falling to- in the rain everybody loves you now I can't wait to listen to the album as a whole, like, you know, driving, but I I can't do it yet. Yeah, it'll be good. All right. I have a parody for this song. Wow. I was just going to (laughs) say, you you actually have a parody for this song. Let's do it. Yeah. The hardest part is going to be singing it. But uh, yeah, so my parody for Got to Begin Again is called Got to Begin the Sopranos Again. Oh, God. What's the matter with you? Where do you even come up with that? You've been watching The Sopranos? Yeah, I rewatched it just recently oh. <laughs> for like the third time this year. Uh, so this is this is that song. Okay. Well, so here I am at the end of the show. Why did the screen go black? <laughs> I thought they would show what happens to Tone. Was he about to be attacked? I binged the whole series, but I'm feeling unfulfilled. Maybe I should eat some gabagool. (laughs) Yes, it's been quite a day and I should start a new show. But damn it, The Sopranos was cool. So I've got to begin again. This show is just so fun. Yes, I've got to begin again. Season one. Ah! <laughs> hey now. <laughs> hey, that was that was great. That was uh, you know, I didn't know where it was going, and the lyrics were excellent. I still don't even know how you can sing it and remember how it I could not for the life of me remember how got to begin again goes again unless I play it first. I don't know how you do it. 
and folks, I'm telling you, he doesn't, it's not like there's a pause in between. He, he just goes right into it. He doesn't say Elon, Alon, I'm talking about doesn't say, Oh, let me just listen to it for a second so I can get the melody again. He seems to remember everything. It's fascinating. That's why they call me one take Altman. <laughs> we never do a second take of these songs. Well, it's true actually, but uh, yeah, well, that was great. Those lyrics were great. That's an excellent parody. Well done, Alon. All right. Well, folks, that was Got To Begin Again. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Have you ever heard Karen Carpenter's solo album? Do you hear the similarities with Close to You? Do you think this is a high school song? And who do you agree with? Christopher Bonanos racking this at 41 or Glenn Gamboa way at the bottom at 121? Are you still confused about the ending of The Sopranos? And do you think they should have played Got to Begin Again instead of Don't Stop Believing? Until next time, I'm Alon Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Everybody's coming in. They're coming in late, but better late than never.